Live from the Alberta Abbey, it's Portland Story Theatre's special St. Patrick's Day show, Luck of the Irish. May the narrative be with you. So we have the dirty jokes out of the way, the dance out of the way. And now um, the most important feature of uh, Irishness, some dark storytelling. And un- unfortunately, I picked the darkest of stories to tell. So um, in order to avoid being uh, professorial, I, uh, I made some note cards for the parts that I need the numbers for. But the rest, I'm just going to go by, um, just go off the cuff here. So there's an Irish proverb uh, which, sa- which states, Ni higgin on sach on shang, which means the well-to-do don't understand the poor. And this uh, proverb succinctly states the cause um, of the Irish famine. And a lot of people understand, uh, in America, understand and often refer to the famine as the potato famine. When in fact, it wasn't an actual devastating crop failure of anything other than the lumper potato. And in order to understand what happened there, we need to look into ourselves as Irish Americans and realize that our identity as Irish America is very much tied into on Gortamor, the great hunger, or in the district where I learned my Irish, they called it Antrochil, or the bad life, the, the horrible life. And um, for, for those of you uh, who are of Irish extraction, I would venture to say that over 90% of you um, and your relatives came to this country um, during or just after the famine when over a million Irish people uh, came to America and searched for a much better life. And what a lot of people don't understand is those people were uh, better off than the ones who were left behind in shallow graves um, along roadsides and in their villages. And uh, so in order to understand the famine, we have to go back even further to the 15th century uh, and the, implement- the implementation of penal laws. And penal laws are essentially uh, laws to outlaw being Irish. And at that time, Ireland was mostly Irish speaking. And of course, these laws were likely written in English and uh, people were um, probably persecuted without even knowing what they were being persecuted for. But penal laws essentially disenfranchised the Irish. It made it uh, illegal to um, seek education, uh, to hold a a firearm, to vote, to run for office, to practice your religion, um, to to find wood to build uh, a Catholic church, which had to be built away from the main road. And the most important uh, penal law, of course, was that you couldn't own a horse that, owned more than, that was worth more than five pounds. So in every, in every sense of, of the word penal laws was a total disenfranchisement and impoverishment of native Irish people who at that time were mostly um, Catholic. So these laws kind of changed and developed as suited the crown until, the 19, until 1920 with the uh, Government of Ireland Act just two short years before we found, we found our independence and the republic. So um, the Irish people have been struggling with this for many, many centuries, and it, it led to such a level of impoverishment that made the famine possible. And um, Edward Burke, who was an MP from Dublin, who was living uh, towards the mid to late uh, 18th century, had this to say about the penal laws. I wrote down because he has a very good English, and I don't have that great of English. So, In reference to the penal laws, he said, the penal laws was a machine of wise and elaborate contravence as well fitted for the oppression, impoverishment, and degradation of a people and the debasement in them of human nature itself as ever proceeded from the perverted ingenuity of man. 
it so disenfranchised and, and impoverished uh, the Irish population that over half of the laborers were dependent solely on the Irish lumber, the potato. And as we know just from our own experience in modern food development that depending on a monoculture only sets yourself up for disaster. And, and disaster was what was coming. And even the crown and representatives of the crown recognized this. The Earl of Devon, when William Courtney in 1845 was giving a, trying to give a wake-up call to Parliament and he, he said, it would be impossible adequately to describe the privations which they, the Irish laborer and his family, habitually and silently endure. In many districts, their only food is the potato, their only beverage, water. Their cabins are seldom a protection against the weather, a bed or blanket is a rare luxury, and nearly in all, their pig and manure heap constitute their only property. The devastation that followed is difficult to even relay, and which is why I'm singing a song about it rather than trying to tell um, uh, the accounts of travelers that came to Ireland during the famine and what they saw, and that the sites that they saw got worse and worse the farther out from town centers they traveled to such, such a, a level that it's difficult even to speak about um, what was going on. But needless to say, there were lots of shallow graves and lots of small funerals happening in several parts of one town from town to town. But just to give you an idea, the numbers really do say it all. In 1844, the year before the onset of the blight that destroyed the potato crop that came from North America, Ireland was approaching 8.4 million people, thanks in part to the potato and how nutritious it was. By 1851, when they should have been approaching 9 million people, the population of Ireland was 6.6 .6 million. That's a loss of 1,600,000 people. Up to 1.5 million of them died from starvation or diseases linked to starvation, and over a million emigrated mostly to the United States, where we, in good conscience, started to collect money for a rebellion that eventually came uh, in 1916. We'll be celebrating that rebellion um, on the 24th of April, so keep your ears and eyes open for events around town. Yeah. That's an overall population loss of 25%. It's a quarter of a population gone in little over five years. And in the district of Connacht, which is where I've spent so much of my time learning Irish and the songs, the dance traditions, it was as high as 30%. This permanently changed the country's demographic, political, and cultural landscape, as you can understand. And all the while, six million pounds sterling of taxes, rents, and food exports were made by the Crown. So, and even these numbers are difficult to corroborate because the census commissioners um, couldn't verify all, and they had a good reason for that. In 1851, the census commissioner, one of the census commissioners of the time stated, the greater the amount of destitution of morality, of mortality, the less will be the amount of recorded deaths derived through any household form, if in fact they could read the forms which were in English. For not only were whole families swept away by disease, but whole villages were effaced from off the land. So this, this um, devastating consequence of uh, laissez-faire economics and solutions that came too little too late decimated the Irish population and sent our predecessors to this country. And uh, we, here we are today celebrating St. Patrick, the, the St. Patrick's Day, the, the time that we have to be pr uh, proud of our Irishness.
And one of the songs that I'd like to sing for you is a song that comes from the Irish-speaking district of Galway, West Galway, in a place called Connemara. And it's about a fellow named Johnny Shoya, or Johnny, John uh, Joyce. Joyce would be the, the anglicized name. And Johnny Shoya was a relief officer. He was, he, he was entrusted with the funds delivered by the Crown to uh, disperse food to aid the village of Karna and, and the area around about, which at that time had uh, a population much larger than its current population, which never rebounded from the famine. And Johnny was viewed two different ways. He was viewed by his friends and his family as a savior and by those who were not as friends or close to him to be family members as a crook because he withheld, um, he withheld from some while giving to others. And the Irish are very great, they're very good at retaining memory through satirization. And so this song was composed to satirize uh, Johnny Shoya. And in the song, this man comes to Johnny Shoya to say, um, I'm coming for help. And you, the flower of youth, the bright lamp outside of the temple of God, must help me if you see where I'm from. My children and my wife lay under the dew. Um, the workhouse is full, and there will be nothing to eat for Christmas. And I come to you because the doctors say my wife will die. But if they only knew if she was married to Johnny Shoya, she would survive. And so you're going to hear in the song uh, mostly Irish, but there are a few words in English. Relief, workhouse, morning star. Just uh, imagine what those are retelling in the song here. So this song, Johnny Shoya from West Galway. Oh, Sir Johnny Shoya, Tig Mahun Glora, Smetach Laido, Sweet Oyen, Mars to Ralto Vicious Jeshela Oh, small temple Oh, 
house of Vister Joyce, Tan work house long, Sneak lock fair on early Snack mud on fluid, while a tan long show echo creeps. Maris deshes brahesh gave nam rae, nan the morning star nur a hyoshin Tan wan rin tin shi lag na lai, shadar na doctori lang go wishi bais. Chef is son to der, terer marder shi ad lumse, nur nak willen shi postale, Mr. Joyce. Thank you.